Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right. Well, now, praise the Lord. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that this is the word of our Father. And we in this room, we all need you as our Father. And so we're ready now to hear your words in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, let's see, Genesis chapter 30, verse 19. Genesis 30, verse 19. Leah conceived again, bare Jacob the sixth son. Leah said, God hath endued me with a good dowry. Now will my husband dwell with me because I have borne him six sons, and she called his name Zebulun. And afterwards she bare a daughter and called her name Dinah. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son, and said, God hath taken away my reproach, and she called his name Joseph, and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Now, in our last study, we finished with this last son that Leah had here, we've just been reading about it, that Leah gave the boy the name Zebulun, which means dwelling. And in that name, we saw how Leah still longed in her heart for her husband to just come into her tent and unpack his bags and choose her over Rachel. And so when we read about this, you know, dear Leah, I mean, we feel badly for her. You know, we read this name, Zebulun. We, I mean, Leah, poor Leah, all she wants is just to make a home for Jacob. She wants to make a cozy nest for him to come home to at the end of the day. She wants to have nice, comforting, hot meal for him, waiting for him as after his long, hard day's work. I mean, praise the Lord for the layers in the world who do the will of God by having a heart to love their husbands and take care of them. I mean, Leah wants to raise Jacob's children to love and respect him as their father. I mean, praise God for the layers in the world who do the will of God and stay home and make a house a godly home and raise godly children who respect their father because they see mom respecting dad. I mean, Leah wants to comfort Jacob, and Leah has a heart, a caring heart. She has a comforting heart. She wants to be a comforting wife. Praise God. For the layers in the world who do the will of God by comforting, caring for their husbands. She wants to just sit and listen to Jacob and be a good conversationalist with him and meet his needs. Praise the Lord for that kind of wife who does the will of God to help her husband that way. Now, man, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Why doesn't my wife do all that? <laughs> Why doesn't she just agree with me in what I want to do? Why does she always seem negative? Why does she disagree? You know, it seems like her opinion is always opposing me. And if you notice, I started off by saying all those words for praise God for doing the will of God. And the question is, what is the will of God uh, for how a wife is going to help her husband? 
And to answer this question, it's a very important question, what's the will of God for how a wife is gonna help her husband? We gotta go back to God's purpose that he stated for when he gave man a wife, which God stated before he created her before he created her, because God saw a need in man, and he stated what that need was before he created the woman. And so this is very important, especially for men. You're frustrated with your wife. She doesn't agree with you. She seems negative all the time. You never okay. Well, never appreciate what God did unless we understand what God said about when he created the wife, before he created her. Now, the verse you're all familiar with is Genesis 2, verse 18, where it says, and the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a help meet for him. That's what the word the verse says. It says, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. A help meet for him. First of all, God said, it's not good that man should be alone. Now, most people look at that and they say, oh, God saw man was lonely. Oh, I feel sorry for man, he's lonely. Therefore, God made for man a woman so man would not be lonely. But man had God. Man had God. And God kept man from being lonely with a wonderful relationship. So when God said it's not good for man to be alone, he's not talking about man being lonely. I mean, if man said to God, I'm lonely, then God would say, well, what am I, chop liver? <laughs> so, so God did not mean that man was lonely with God and therefore needed a woman to keep him company so he wouldn't be lonely. It's like people say to me, oh, you lost Cheryl, you must be lonely. Oh, I miss Cheryl, I'm not at all lonely. I've gotten closer to God and lonely I'm not. So if God did not mean that it was not good for man to be lonely when he said it's not good for the man to be alone, what did God mean? What did he mean by that? It's not good for man to be alone. It's all tied up, and the key is what he went on to say after that in Genesis 2.18 when he said, the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. It's all tied up in those words, help meet for him. See, God called the woman a help meet for him. Now, on the surface, it looks like God's saying, I'll make a helper. I'll make a helper for a man that's just right, you know, meet for him, that's suitable for him. You know, that's not what the Hebrew is saying. That's what the English says, but that's not what the Hebrew is saying. And it's critical to see exactly what the Hebrew is saying when it says meet for him, help meet for him. The Hebrew word for help is the word azer or, or ezra, as in my, you know, the book has help, you know, as azer is help. The phrase that's here is azer k'nidgo, azer k'negdo, okay? That's three words. Azer, and then k is a word, and then negdo. So that's the phrase, azer k'nigdo. The first word, as I said, azer, that means help. The second word, k, means like, like Mikael, mihu, k, like God. Mikael, Michael, who is like God. See, that's what k means like. So first of all, we got, the, we got two out of the three down, so we're doing pretty good. We have azer, help, like, k. Now we need to crack the meaning of the word negdo, which is the word neged. Neged, negdo is, is for him. Do is him, to him. So the word is neged, 
So what does the word neged mean? So the best way to see what a word means in the Bible is to see the other places where it's used, and then you understand by the context the meaning of the word. So where are some other places where this word neged is used? Well, one place is in Proverbs 21.30. In Proverbs 21.30, it said, There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against neged, the Lord. There's no wisdom, there's no counsel that's against neged. That's the word neged, against the Lord. Another place to use Joshua 5.13. Joshua 5.13, it says, It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against neged, against him, with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and says, Are you for us or art thou for us or for our adversaries? So here's this man, he's standing with a sword in his hand. He said, He's neged. God, uh, he, he's against him. See? In Judges 20, verse 34, there came against uh, Gibeah, Neged, 10,000 chosen men out of all Israel, and the battle was sore. Uh, okay. So there, there we see clearly Neged means against. Negdo means against him. So the Hebrew for a help meet for him, Azer Knedgo, means a helper against him, a helper like against him. Those are three words. A helper like against him. In other words, when God saw man and said it's not good for him to be alone, God meant that, you know, man, when I look at man, he's got all these ideas and he thinks he's right and it's going to be a disaster if he goes ahead without any, any obstruction. <laughs> so I, I need to make for, I need to make an Azer Kinnig go. I need to make a helper like against him. I need to make the opposing party for the Democrats. <laughs> and so I'll make the woman who will be a helper being like against man. See, that's the literal translation of that phrase, meet for him. It's a hard statement for us men to read. You know? And all the Bible translations, there's not one translation that's true to that original Hebrew there. And I'm talking about the King James. I looked at the King James. I looked at the Amplified. I looked at the American Standard. I looked at the Bible in basic English. Darby Bible. I looked in the French. I looked in the Italian. I looked at Luther's German Bible. I looked at the Spanish I looked at all these Bibles, you know. I looked at the International Standard, the Jewish publication, the literal translation of the Bible, the modern King James, the new King James, the new American Standard, the new International Reader's Version, the NIV, the New Living Translation, the Revised Version, none of them. All of them follow meet suitable, the right one. They all avoided translating negdo, and they put these things like I was telling you, meet suitable, just right, but... All of them did that, except for one, except for one translation, and that was in 1898, and that was Young's literal translation, and he put a helper as her counterpart. He got it right. Now, why did they all do that? Why did they all avoid that? Well, they were all translated by men. And can you imagine, you know, the man, you know, coming home to, well, honey, what did you translate today? <laughs> well, I translated that you were made by God to be against me. <laughs> so, you know, I can imagine all the men say, you think we're really going to translate that? Well, why don't we just say meat suitable, right? You know, and, you know, and then when we studied Genesis 2, you know, about three years ago, 
I mean, why didn't I tell you what this meant? Because my wife was still alive. <laughs> now she's passed away. I've got complete liberty to tell you what negdo means. So, and why was Young the only one who translated negdo correctly? He died young. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So God has a role for wives. It's to be k-negdo, k-negdo, like like against him. It was like God was saying in Genesis 2:18. Why should I be the helper that always gets blamed for being against me? <laughs> I'll make him a woman helper, and then, and then she can get the blame for being against him. Yeah? <laughs> so anyway, that's a wise man who honors and appreciates his wife and thanks God for when she is against him because he realizes that God made her to be azer knegdo, a helper like against him. That's why, man, that's why man should only have one wife because one helper is enough to be against him. <laughs> But you know, the common complaint of husbands is that my wife is so negative. She's so negative. So that's good because then you just remember how the word neged sounds like negative, see? And so neged, like negative, remember the little translation, azer kenegdo, a helper like against, against him. Now, where are we? Well, I digressed a little bit. Okay. All right. So we're thanking God for Leah, and our hearts have gone out to Leah with the name of her last son, Zebulun, which means dwelling, because poor Leah, she yearned her heart for her husband just to live with her, just to dwell with her. And we've been following the life of Leah, and we followed her through her trials, we followed her through her yearnings of her heart, and at first, in chapter 29, we saw Leah just struggling with the fact that her husband hated her. And by the time we finished that chapter 29, we saw how Leah was able to rise up over her problem and reach that mountaintop experience for Leah in Genesis 29, 35, when she said, now will I praise the Lord. Then we open chapter 30, and with Leah's problem, another the problem here, her sister. Her sister came into view in the first verse where it said, Rachel envied her sister. That'd be Leah. And we watched as Leah fought with her sister, and in Leah's anger, she resorted to giving her handmaid to Jacob to have children, and that was a tremendous fall for Leah, and we saw how much that bothered Leah, and she tried to justify it with that strange thing she said, but she lamented in verse 18, chapter 30, verse 18, when she said, I have given my maiden to my husband, but Leah learned she never gave her husband, gave a handmaid to her husband again. That was another low point in Leah's life. But in verse 20 are the last words that Leah will speak alone. And after this, Leah is going to just sort of exit off the stage of biblical lessons for us. But thankfully, what we see in verse 20 is Leah, again, recovered from her falls, and now she's returned to praising the Lord in verse 20. And Leah said, God hath endued me with a good dowry. She still had a broken heart for Jacob, still named him Zebulun, still wants to dwell with her, but through her broken heart, Leah now finds her place back to praising the Lord because Leah saw God gave her a good dowry in those children. It's wonderful that this is the last picture that we see in the Bible of Leah. God wants us to see this. God wants us to have, this is the last memory of Leah. I want you to see Leah praising the Lord. I don't want you to see, think about Leah giving her handmaid to her husband. I want you to see her praising the Lord. That's important for us. That's important for us because the Bible leaves Leah in a good light. 
That shows us how much God is for us. It says, it says in Romans 8, 31, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? It's a very important question. If God be for us, who can be against us? Very important question that's raised there in Romans that we should consider. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You know, throughout our days, we have problems. We have the problems of enemies. We have the problems of fears. We have the problems of sins that we're battling with. And all this is going on inside of us. And each one of those problems have their own particular voice. So it's like a cacophony of, uh, of voices inside of us. Like David talked about in uh, Psalm 36, 1, when he said, The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. See, David saw the transgression of the wicked and how they just seemed to be getting away with it, like in Psalm 73. And there was a voice inside David that was saying, look, there's no fear before their eyes. Of course, the implication is, so why should there be fear before your eyes? They're getting away with it. We need to counter all those voices inside of us. And we should make little signs and put them all around us during the day, in the bathroom, in the, in the car. And the sign should read, if God be for us, blank. See? Where we fill in the blank. And when we're critical and angry at another believer, we should fill in the blank. If God be for us, why, if I, God be for him, why am I against him? See? And when we're afraid of what our future is going to be, we should fill it back. If, blank. If God be for us, why am I worried that God's not going to take care of me? And when we have an enemy that fill in the blank, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Yeah. God was for Leah. The Lord Jesus Christ was for his disciples. When he said to them in Luke twenty two twenty eight, Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And when he said that to them, You are they which continue with my temptations, his disciples could have looked at each other and said, Who, me? Who, us? I mean, we've continued with him as temptations. We've continued with him as temptations. I think we fell asleep in the garden of his temptation. I think most of us didn't even go to the garden of his temptation. The one who did fell asleep. I don't think we continue with him in his big temptations. But what we see the Lord saying, you've continued with me in my temptations, is how much he was for them and how he cast them in the best light. That's what we see here with Leah. Now we see at the end of, here, at the end of her life, God is casting her in the best, best light with a broken heart, okay, but risen above to praise the Lord for the good dowry that God gave her. That's encouraging to us to see God casting her in the best light and to realize God was for Leah, so God is for me. God wanted to cast Leah in the best light, so God wants to cast us in the best light. Now we come to verse 22, where we now, we spotlights now on Rachel. Okay, by contrast, we could say, and God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. Again, as we read God remembered Rachel, it was not God saying, oh yeah, I forgot about Rachel. Rachel, you know, Rachel. I've been so busy with Leah's problems, I forgot all about it. I left Rachel hanging. I'm sorry, Rachel. You know, you know, what's the matter with you angels? Why don't you remind me about Rachel, you know? Now look, she's had to wait for such a long time, you know. Where am I reminding angels? You know? <laughs> when it says that God remembered Rachel, it's not implying God forgot about Rachel. It's a term that's used in the Bible. It just shows that how God takes care of people in their dire need, like we saw with, uh, with Noah in Genesis 8.1. God remembered Noah. And Moses used that term several times 
to emphasize God's faithfulness when he said in Numbers 10, 9, for example, and if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you, then you shall go blow an alarm with the trumpets and you shall be remembered before the Lord your God and you shall be saved from your enemies. See, when it says God remembered, it really means God did not forget. And it always is used in the context of God showing mercy, particular mercy. You know, David said in Psalm 98.3, he hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. But there was a long time, admittedly, right? There was a long time for Rachel when she was infertile, when she was barren. And it wasn't because God forgot about her. It was because God was using that time of barrenness and infertility to teach Rachel what the greatest needs that she had to be taught. The greatest needs, Rachel needed patience. Rachel's problem was, I need it, and I need it now. (laughs) That's how she opens this chapter with her wonderful phrase, give me children or else I die. So God wanted to teach her patience in her time of infertility. And then Rachel's other great need was for Rachel to depend on God. You know, again, when she says, you know, Rachel said unto Jacob, give me children or else I died, Rachel did not say unto the Lord, give me children or else I die. Rachel said to Jacob, give me children. And it was plain to Jacob that, Rachel, you shouldn't be saying that to me. You should be saying that to God when his reply in verse 2 was, and Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, am I in God's stead? What are you talking to me for? Who hath withheld thee from the fruit of the womb? See, that was Rachel's need to depend on God. And it looks like Rachel did take Jacob's advice and went to prayer because in this verse 22, it says, God hearkened to her. So if God hearkened to her, that means that Rachel was finally praying to him. So it's wonderful to see Rachel praying. This is a good light for Rachel, one of the few. And it's wonderful to see her praying to God. What an encouragement it is to us in verse 22 to read that Rachel was praying. It's a big step when a person prays. It's a big step when a person begins to pray with other people. It's a big step when a person in prayer praises and worships God in their prayers. And when they begin, it's a big step when they begin to pray for others. You know, it's a big step when people take on the joy priority of prayer. J, joy. J and joy stands for Jesus first in the praise and worship. O and joy stands for others. Second, Y and joy stands for you. These are all big steps. To see Rachel praying here in verse 22, first time we've seen Rachel praying. Does our heart good to just kind of look at this and say, boy, that's the Rachel we like to see. Now, Since God made Rachel wait for such a long time before she started to have children, Rachel probably thought that God was not going to answer her prayer or that the answer was no. But we can see that God did answer Rachel's prayer in verse 22. It just took longer than Rachel wanted. So Rachel thought that God was not going to answer her prayer, but God was going to answer Rachel's prayer, just not right at the time when she wanted, just later. And that's hard for Rachel to take that. So she had this outburst in verse 1, give me children or else I die. And when Rachel said that, Rachel didn't have children. Instead, Rachel said, well, who needs God to have children when you have a fertile handmaid? (music) 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Bible teacher and Jewish born-again Christian Tom Cantor from Friendship with God wants to invite you to celebrate Purim, which is the celebration of Esther's victory over Haman. This is an interactive celebration, remembrance, and feast at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee on Good Friday, March 25th at 6.30 p.m. The Creation and Earth History Museum is conveniently located on Woodside Avenue North off the 67 next to the Santee Drive-In. So join Tom Cantor in Israel Restoration Ministries as we celebrate Esther's victory over death with Purim and celebrate the Good Friday passion of our Lord Jesus Christ in defeating death over Satan. Admission is free, but seating is limited at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee on Good Friday, March 25th at 6.30 p.m. Call us for more information at 619-599-1104. That's 619-599-1104. Or go online to creationsd.org. creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org.